for a lot of women, that saber-toothed tiger nowadays is the medical system itself. Right. And yeah. the way that the system is built, uh, the system does not center women's voices, especially Black mm. women, Indigenous oh, yes. women, women of mm -hmm. color. Mm -hmm. um, the system itself can be the source of that fear. And also when you're high risk, most of the time you need that system to carry you through the pregnancy and through labor and delivery. And so it's, that option is often taken away of maybe I want to you know, labor at home longer or I want to deliver at home or in a birthing center. And oftentimes like for my clients, those are not options that are safe. Yeah, exactly. And so this is why I find it so important that we get into your body and figure out what your body needs to feel safe during this pregnancy even when you need to be inside of that system that doesn't necessarily make you feel safe. And that I think is really powerful because that you're able to recreate that experience for yourself wherever you are. Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix, and I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. Hey friends, today we're talking all things high-risk pregnancy. What is it? What can you or your clients do to manage their risks? And how can we help ourselves and help our clients to reclaim a sense of safety and trust that maybe they feel like has been just lost or just completely crushed through external circumstances? And what about those people who had a previously difficult experience, maybe a NICU stay or other sorts of trauma? This is really important for us to address. A lot of people are going through this and we wanna know how to support people going through it. It's a big, important topic. Pregnancy isn't always easy for us, everyone and it's really important that we know how to support this well. And after you've listened to this episode, if you liked it, I encourage you to consider rating and reviewing it. It really helps us to get this information out there to those who need it. Enjoy. Parichat Deshpande is the leading high-risk pregnancy specialist, somatic trauma professional, and speaker and author who guides women to improve their pregnancy complications so they can reduce their risk of preterm birth. Her unique neurobiological approach has served hundreds of women to manage pregnancy complications and reclaim a safety and trust in their bodies that they thought was eroded forever. Parijat is the author of the best-selling book, Pregnancy Brain, a mind-body approach to stress management during a high-risk pregnancy. She is also the host of the popular podcast, Delivering Miracles, that is such a great name, that discusses the real raw side of family building, including infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, and healing once baby comes home. Wow. That is quite the bio. There's so much in there that I'm like, can we talk about this, 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 and this? So um, <laughs> I'm really interested in the mind-body connection. So it excites me to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. 
we want to begin, I guess I'd love to hear, like, how did you, how did you get into this? Tell us, tell us about your journey a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. Uh, the, the immediate journey begins from my own personal experience. And if I kind of look back, I'd always wanted to be in women's health from when I was very young. Um, I, I wasn't just dreaming to be a doctor. I wanted to be specifically an OBGYN. And had I known about maternal fetal medicine, I probably would have wanted to be a perinatologist. Mm. And then I got to college and tried chemistry and that <laughs> didn't go very well. <laughs> and so I found my path in psychology and then specialized in clinical psychology. But there was always something that was pulling me back to women's health. And it was through personal experience after I got married, where we knew that we were going to have trouble uh, conceiving. We were not one of those couples that was going to take years to figure out that there was an issue. We knew ahead of time, this was going to be difficult for us. And so we jumped into fertility treatment when we were very young. And I did my first round of fertility treatment, ended up losing that baby as a ruptured ectopic, which was, um, if for your listeners who aren't aware, that's when the embryo implants outside of the uterus, usually in the fallopian tube, but sometimes mm -hmm. elsewhere. And it was a really scary experience because it's life-threatening mm -hmm. and I had need, needed uh emergency surgery. And it was very eye-opening for my husband and for me that, you know, we'd heard about miscarriages being common and we had planted that seed in our head of, okay, this is possible for us too, but we had never imagined that ha growing our family could be dangerous to me too. And so that really opened our eyes to how many challenges there can actually be in and how, and how many different ways they can show up. And that was very scary. And so we allowed ourselves to have a few months for me to recover physically and then um, as much as I could emotionally at that point and then jumped into IVF where I got pregnant immediately again, which we're very grateful for. But before I knew I was pregnant, I developed my very first complication. And that pregnancy, I just one after another, I was accruing complication after complication. I was on bed rest from week six at home and mm. uh, just things were just falling apart and it was terrifying, especially after what we'd already been through. And at 22 weeks and four days, I landed in the hospital three centimeters dilated. And with everything that had already happened, my medical team was convinced that they, I wasn't going to stay pregnant for much longer than 72 hours. And at that point in pregnancy, it's just too early for most babies to survive. So they were preparing us that this is likely what's going to happen. And as much as you can prepare a couple, uh, basically telling us this is kind of it. We, we don't have a lot of hope. And... Mm -hmm. It was that day when I realized, you know what, there's one thing that we haven't done yet. Nobody has been talking to me about the impact of this mind-body connection that you just mentioned, that when I am anxious or terrified, my contractions go up and you can see it on the monitor. And when I am able to address my body, not my thoughts, but my body, those contractions stop and nothing has changed in my medical care. So I remember saying to my, my OB, okay, well, give me everything you've got. I'll take it all. Yes to <laughs> everything. And this is going to be my job. I'm going to keep my body as uh, tension-free, tightness-free as possible. And let's see what happens. 
And I I was just talking to my husband about this the other day. And he's like, I remember the look on her face. It was just this like, oh, you poor thing. Okay, sure. I'll let you have that if that's what you need to believe. Okay, sure. You know, she just felt so bad. And uh, they just, you know, with that appointment or that time when they came to the hospital room, they left and everything, really believing that, okay, we're just going to let her have that (laughs) because that's what she's holding on to. They gave me 72 hours and I got 15 days. And that was what inspired this work. Cause I remember thinking I am nobody special. I don't have some superpowers that made this possible. This is biology. And if I can do this, anyone can do this. And I really want everybody to know everyone out there, how much power we have, even in a scary moment, like a high risk pregnancy where you're at the brink of viability. So my son was born at 24 weeks and five days. way earlier than I wish on anybody else, but it was late enough for him to have a chance at life. And, you know, we just celebrated another birthday with him. It's just incredible. So that is what brought me to this work. He just turned eight. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. It's interesting because I, um, I was in the yoga world for many years and I, you know, you hear a lot of mind over body and, um, the body mind connection, but it felt like a lot of, um, not concrete, like kind of woo at at a point. Exactly. Yeah. And then I started getting really into the science of pain and nocebo and placebo and studying actually the like biology, the scientific backing. I don't know if you've read the book by Joe Marchand, Cure. Have you heard of that one? I haven't. No, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I know you have your own book, so we could talk more about your book and not her book, but <laughs> it, it, it was a book that was so mind blowing to me because she actually goes into the science of how mind, oh, like the, the mind, it's not just like mind over body. It's really like your body is your mind, right? Like what, yes. like they have done studies. So how, how is it possible to be cured from a surgery where they didn't do surgery on you? Right. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. You're right. I have read this book. I'm so sorry. I was thinking of something else, but yes, it blew my mind as well. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. Or how can, how can people get erectile dysfunction by being told the pill is going to give it to them when that wasn't a side effect of the pill? I mean, that isn't, it is not exactly, it is not magic. So I'm so happy you're here talking to us about this because it's not magic. And I feel like if you're running in certain circles, they make it sound like it's magic. And I try to demystify, I don't know your approach, but I try to demystify it so that it's really more like, "Mm, I'm not actually talking about like, um, like a state you need to enter to make this happen. It's like yes. really just how the neurology works. It's exactly it. It sounds like we have a very similar approach. Totally. Let's be best friends. So um, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> what can I, we, I want to talk about all of that, but can, let's start from the beginning kind of um, what is a high-risk pregnancy? Is there a way to kind of define that? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that because it's one of those terms that is commonly used, but we don't really always know what exactly it means and it can sound Mm -hmm. really scary. So it's actually a really broad umbrella term that just means for any number of reasons, you are at higher risk than others to develop any number of complications. That could just be due to age. For example, in the Mm -hmm. United States, that cutoff is about 35, after which you're just automatically considered high risk. 
Uh, it could be because you're carrying multiples, twins or higher order multiples are at higher risk of pregnancy and fetal complications. It could be because you have a history of a certain number of um, illnesses like asthma or cancer or kidney disease or heart disease. Um, depression even is a risk factor. It could be because you develop complications in your pregnancy. And so you can see it just covers a very large landscape of different options. Mm -hmm. And so all it means is you are at higher risk. It does not mean that there's a particular outcome that you can or should expect. There are plenty of women who have that high risk pregnancy label and are able to have a healthy pregnancy and deliver at term. And then there are women like me who have high risk pregnancies and many, many complications and deliver very preterm and everything in between. So it just means you're going to need more uh, likely more monitoring during the pregnancy, possibly some more testing. And you're just going to have more eyes on your pregnancy just to make sure that we can catch things earlier than, um, than otherwise. That's a great way to talk about it. Thank you. Cause you're right. It does, it does sound scary. And as you know, cause you're in this world, words carry weight that go beyond just right. how you hear them, but they carry weight and how you react, like your biology reacts to that weight like totally. if you're told, you know, and so that's so interesting. I always think about the language I use because I don't want to like change someone's biological response to my language. Right. Totally. But if someone's told you're 36 years old, so you are high risk, that can be something we're talking about the mind body connection. It can be really hard. I'm assuming for yeah. people to feel that something could go wrong. So is yeah. there ways yeah. So are there ways we can reduce our risk factors or, you know, there's obviously some things we can control and some things we can't control. So how do you help people manage that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up that example because I think that's one of the most common uh, emails that we get is, oh my gosh, I'm 35. Oh my gosh, I'm 37. I'm high risk now. What does that mean? And it's scary because we yeah. don't know what it means. And especially if you don't have any other health issues or any other risk factors and it's just age, oftentimes there's going to be really nothing more than maybe some additional appointments. Yeah. But we don't know that. That's because yeah. that's not what the word carries, certainly. Right. And so there, you're right. There are a lot of things that we can do to reduce those risks. Um, you know, we don't, we can't <laughs> rewind time and make ourselves younger necessarily, but there are a lot of things we can do to support our bodies. You know, there's a lot of really good nutritional advice that's out there that we start prenatally for both, uh, the pregnant person as well as her partner. So, you know, a lot of things you can do to help with conception, which can set the stage for a healthy pregnancy. And then throughout the pregnancy, of course, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, all of those things are very important, um, getting really good quality prenatal care. And the part that I bring to that puzzle, so to speak, is supporting a healthy nervous system because the state of your nervous system impacts your endocrine system, which manages hormones and your immune system, which is tied to inflammation. And there needs to be a very specific balance of those three to help support a healthy pregnancy. And when the nervous system is in that frozen state of danger or is experiencing chronic stress, it impacts the other two as well in a way that sets the stage for an increased risk of pregnancy complications. So I find when we address that piece of it, in addition to everything else, we really stack the deck nicely in your favor to reduce your risk of a lot of complications. 
So how, so talk to us about that, the nervous system. So how do you, what do you do that can help you manage your nervous system, regulate your nervous system? Yeah. So my approach is very personalized. And so there's no one kind of blanket way to do it. But what we start with is we've got to first figure out what is the state of my nervous system? So I work a lot with women who have experienced second trimester loss or second trimester pregnancy complications or preterm delivery. And so essentially they're the woman where the second trimester was not the easy trimester. And so when they're getting ready to be pregnant again, they're terrified, right? But we live in that state for so long, we often don't even realize it. And one Mm -hmm. of the things, for example, that happens is when you live in that state of danger, we lose access to a lot of our senses because they're not essential to survival, which is the state that we're living in. Survival mode is not, you don't need to know what the the flowers smell like when you're being chased by a bear. And so it's about retraining your body to bring those senses back online, identify kind of postures and movements that are supporting the survival mode versus bringing you into that safe mode and bringing you your entire body down so that it's no longer feeding into those thoughts that we identify as anxiety or overwhelm or nervousness. So it's very, very body-based. And it really starts with being very curious about what is my body doing? Can I even feel my body? And what does that tell me about what my next step is? Yeah. One of the, I work with a lot of women who have a a uterine prolapse. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my area is prolapse and diastasis recti. So these kind of injuries to the part of the body that are so kind of primal in their function and self-identification. And um, one of the areas that I work with immediately is like, do you feel safe here? Right. Do you feel safe to begin working on this? Because what has the bio psychosocial message been in your life around you and your body and your injuries? And oftentimes people don't even feel safe. Like they they, you know, they don't feel safe. And it's hard, like you said, it's really hard to operate from a space of feeling so unsafe. Exactly. And I, I love that we're talking about that particular region of the bodies. I imagine you probably have seen this too, that when I begin that work with my clients too, we start to notice how often or how long they actually haven't even been been able to feel that part of their body. They've become so disconnected because it feels so unsafe. Exactly. Like you're saying. Well, I mean, even, um, I think it's what one in three or one or four women have been sexually assaulted in their life. Right. And so often they can feel very disconnected to the area that they need to very much connect to during birth. So that can, that can be scary, you know, high risk pregnancy aside, just like whether someone's having, you know, maybe we title this podcast episode, like high risk pregnancy, but technically really we all have stuff in our nervous system and in our bodies that we could use some down regulation. We could use some help and some support to get out of that, you know, fear, tension, pain cycle that so many of us are just stuck in. Totally. Yeah. I often ask my clients, like, do you, do you believe that it's true, right? The story that you've been told about your injury by the professionals, because people will come to me. I I had a client come to me recently and she was like, I, my last resort is having my vaginal 
my vagina sewn up, um, which is a procedure that it that is done as what? barbaric wow. as it I've never sounds. Heard of that. Oh my really? gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That is a final, it is a last resort for a prolapse is to sew up the vagina. And I was like, do you, she was like, you're my last hope. And I was like, I, I am not your hope at all. You're your hope, you know, but do you exactly do you believe that to be true? And I think that it is when we are working with our clients and I'm curious about your experience with this, they bring to the table so many stories that they were told about themselves. And uh, how do you begin to help them un kind of separate themselves? Like you're having a stressful moment. It doesn't mean you are stress, right? Like that kind of yes. idea. Like oh my gosh. I creating so some <laughs> distance from the experience, because I think people then buy into their experience lock, stock and barrel. And as you said, with your own experience, it only makes it worse. It, yeah. it can only make it worse. So you're trying to be the positive force in their life. In, in what ways do you do that? Kind of in what ways do you try to change the narrative, so to speak? Yeah, I, I love this. That I'm so glad you brought this up because you're right. There, there are so many situations like your client you were talking about where they've heard something over and over and over. And especially I find in women's health, there are, there's so little information outside of kind of what's the standard protocol mm -hmm. that women will hear the same thing. Even if they go to get a second opinion, a third opinion, they might hear the same thing over and over. And so then why wouldn't you think, well, okay, I guess maybe that is all there is. And so a lot of what we do is first, you have to come at it from feeling safe in your body because otherwise it doesn't matter anything that we uncover or you tell me, or I say, um, it's not going to land. It's you're not going to hear it uh, mm -hmm. in, in, from, in the same way as if you were experiencing your body, um, in a safe manner and just being that deregulated state. And so that has to come first. And then after that, what I actually do is I go back into their medical history with them and we walk through it and we go, okay, this is what's on paper. Now tell me your lived experience of this. Mm. And when we can map those together, we often find, you know what? Most of the time she knew something was wrong. Actually, I would say mm. almost all of the time she knew something was wrong or she was trying to get their attention or she knew something was happening and for whatever reason, she wasn't taken seriously, or she had an idea of actually, I don't think it was XYZ thing my doctors have said. I think it was related to uh, stress, anxiety, trauma, something like that. But everybody keeps blowing me off. And when we start looking at that, we go, okay, here's what's on paper. Here's your lived experience. And now they're mapped together. What is the picture that we see now? And mm -hmm. when she can see it outside of her, suddenly it is this extremely validating experience that no, you were not wrong and no, you are not broken and no, these are not the only options and we have more we can do for you. Let's talk about what that is. And I, so when you ask like, how do I be that, that hope um, or that positivity? I, I feel like I'm not, I feel like, again, that's something that comes deeply from them when they're able to see it outside of them and have that kind of safe container in which we can discuss what it is they experienced and what they know about their bodies that we must include in future prenatal care. And then we talk about how to do that and how to bring that to the table with their next prenatal team and how to rebuild that team to support uh, that intuition that has been right the whole time. And I think in 
showing them they have that power and that it is always accurate uh, helps them kind of rebuild some of that trust that they lost in their bodies. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. That's so amazing. Mm -hmm. That is really, so do you feel that you are most impactful when you are working with somebody to, who are, who kind of in this container of, I want to help you improve your pregnancy complications. Is that kind of the contain, the area that you love getting at them, so to speak? Like at what point in the journey do you want to kind of come into their, help them out? Is it in that moment of like where the light bulb went off for you? Like, wait, hold on. I can do something here for myself. Yeah. I, I actually really enjoy doing the longer term work to get ahead of it. So it doesn't get as far as I went (laughs) and have that moment so late in the game. Um, I certainly do work with women kind of in that triage mode, but Ideally, I actually start working with women about one to three months before they're ready to conceive again after their second trimester or third trimester loss or preterm delivery. So they're getting ready. They're really scared. They know that they want a different experience next time, and they're ready to really shift their biology to support that in addition to making sure that we have all the pieces in place for their medical care too. So that's usually when I start the work and I'm with them then all the way through until four weeks after baby comes home. And that was inspired by my experiences well too, because I, I went through the whole kind of gamut of it. I was in the fertility clinic. That was my home. And then all of a sudden I'm ending the first trimester. I'm booted out of there to a brand new doctor. And then I delivered, I got to know my OB and then I was kicked over to MFM and then I got to know MFM and then I delivered my baby and got kicked over to the NICU. And it was such cold handoffs that I really mm-hmm. did not like. And so that was really important to me is when I do this work, I want to be that constant, no matter who else you have to go see, you know, there's one person who knows you as you as a person on your entire journey. Right. Yeah. I think with complicated, I was just going to say, I think with complications and other high risk things that sometimes you can feel like a number, you can feel like you are all of these things and they're not looking at you as a person, especially with all those handoffs. You're like, I remember being like, I mean, you've asked me that question five times, like every week you ask (laughs) me that question or like introduce yourself to me. Like, I don't know. It, it feels very cold. It's the approach. And I, you know, because sometimes, you know, that midwifery level of care where you're, it's a lot more holistic. I wish more OBs practiced with a midwifery model because I find that, and then going into the high risk OBs, sometimes it can feel even colder because they have so many different patients. So you feel like you're just, you know, just a number and you feel like I'm a person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a person with a really complicated history. And so right. this appointment isn't just an appointment to me. There's yeah. a whole history behind this appointment where I'm here today. And I think that matters. Yeah. And I think bedside manner matters as well. And I, if anyone who is a provider or a birth worker is listening, I hope they hear that because I have had so many clients calling me crying after their appointment with, let's say I'm 41. I like, there's a certain provider I know, and I sometimes will prepare my clients if they're going into a 41 week appointment with, which is the other side of things Mm -hmm. in the preterm and they get 
told all these scary things and all these terrible things and they leave crying and overwhelmed and their nervous system is so on high alert when it's kind of the same going in when you're going past your guest date needing to like relax and let go obviously eventually you're gonna give birth but being on that high alert I honestly think can sometimes stop the process yeah because if you think if they're if you were being chased in by a saber tooth tiger, you are, your body needs to be able to stop the process to get somewhere safe. Exactly. And yet our, our saber tooth tigers are in our brains. (laughs) So we can't really run and hide and get somewhere safe necessarily. Absolutely. And I'll add there too, that there, yeah, there's no actual saber tooth tiger anymore. And also for a lot of women, that saber tooth tiger nowadays is the medical system itself. Right. And yeah. w- the way that the system is built, the way that we don't, uh, the system does not center women's voices, especially black mm. women, indigenous oh, yes. women, women of mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. Um, the system itself can be the source of that fear. And also when you're high risk, most of the time you need that system to carry you through the pregnancy and through labor and delivery. And so it's that option is often taken away of maybe I want to, you know, labor at home longer, or I want to deliver at home or in a birthing center. And oftentimes like for my clients, those are not options that are safe. Yeah, for them. exactly. And so this is why I find it so important that we get into your body and get figure out what your body needs to feel safe during this pregnancy, even when you need to be inside of that system that doesn't necessarily make you feel safe. And that I think is really powerful because that you're able to recreate that experience for yourself wherever you are. It's so not how we're trained to think though. Totally. You know, it's just so, it's so not how I did this 10 day, um, like minute a day mindfulness for, for my group. Um, because I, I, you know, I just wanted to help them create a minute buffer between them and reality, just to know that you're, you are not your lived experience, right? You don't have to be it. And, and, and the one thing people came back again and again was I had no idea how stressed out I was. I had no idea how much I am affected by the stories I believe about myself. I have no idea. And these are not people who necessarily all had I mean, it's, it's, I have a group of 25,000 people. They're not, I mean, there's a a range of things that they're going through, but we're all going through a global pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, but it's interesting because I feel like it's such a juxtaposition, your work to, like you just said, the medical world that they're super immersed in. Mm -hmm. And, and I wonder like do you feel like it, you have to do a lot of explaining about how critical this is to people or do they generally just buy in? Are they like, yeah, oh yeah, this, or do you feel like you have to explain a lot to make it demystified? No, I think uh, by the time they come into my orbit, whether they're following me on Instagram or you know whatever that might be, uh, by then they know because they've lived it. So they know exactly what that experience is like of, Hey, something's wrong with my body and nobody is listening to me Mm. and I'm talking and yelling and I'm trying to get their attention and nobody's listening. And, oh, wait, look, something terrible happened. I told you, right. And not, not in a self kind of aggrandizing way, but Mm -hmm. it's look, I was right. I know my body. And yet, like you said, the system is not built that way to, 
to value a woman's instinct about her body, which I think is ridiculous and infuriating, but she's right. And so she's lived it already. And so now she's like, okay, well, I know I want more children and I know I'm going to need to rely on the system again that Mm. I don't trust anymore. How do I do that? How do I create that next experience? And that's usually how they come to me is um, to add kind of my support into their care plan. Do you think it's possible for people to also be on the other side, like almost so convinced that their body will fail them again, that I don't want to say that they caused that failure because God, that's not how I see people. But do you know what I mean? Like when we're so convinced that we're going to have an outcome, the neurobiology will also help us along with that. Like the self-fulfilling prophecy type thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research about that. Um, Yeah. Finding that balance is so important. Like it is, it <laughs> is. And I always like to frame it from the lens of safety again, is if you don't feel safe to be pregnant because you are so sure that you are going to deliver preterm, going to develop preeclampsia, mm-hmm. gestational diabetes, mm-hmm. whatever that, whatever the thing is, or the multiple things are right. Then that lack of safety is translated from a nervous system that's functioning in survival mode. And we, as we talked about earlier, when we have a nervous system in survival mode, it impacts the endocrine and the immune system, which That's affects right. the uh, uh, pregnancy, health pregnancy outcomes and neonatal outcomes that we, we know that to be a fact. And so, like you said, it's not that you are causing it. It is a good opportunity to think about, do I feel safe being pregnant again? And if the answer is no, what does my body need for me to feel safe being pregnant again? And the answer Mm -hmm. might be nothing. And you might decide, okay, I'm just not going to go down that path. I'm not going to grow my family in this way again. And that is certainly your choice. And I'd love to present that question because what if there is an option that you would like to consider? And would that change your decision? Maybe, maybe not, but just so you know, there are options outside of this medical system uh, that are backed by science and are based in biology that can support your body to reduce the risks that you may be at high risk for. I like it. I love that you say that because I think it goes back to this idea of you just need to feel safe in order to listen. You do. Right. So, so it's not that the messages are wrong, But are the messages, like you said, kind of based on this, are they based on safety? And that's kind of, that's interesting because then that's almost like the barometer for how do you know if your listening is good listening or like listening to a history that's no longer relevant. So totally. That's interesting. I like that perspective. Yeah. What else? What, what, what do you want? What do you want people to know? What do you want? Um, pregnant people facing complications or trying to conceive again after having a high-risk pregnancy, what are you, what's so important? What are some lessons you'd like them to know? Some tangible stuff, maybe like these, like, here's some simple things you can do maybe. Well, I think the first thing I would say is statistics are not crystal balls. And as I think you all also know so well is when we have um, any kind of complication, we hear a lot of statistics from our medical 
team because they have to tell us because we have to be informed patients to make informed decisions. Certainly, totally get that. I remember hearing all kinds of horrible statistics when I landed in the hospital and throughout our NICU stay. And also they're not crystal balls. You have the ability to influence your body. And that is not something that you may be hearing often enough. And that's what I feel like I'm trying to spread Mm, that message about is you do have the ability to influence your body. It's not a cure-all. Nobody's offering any kind of, um, you know, we're all informed enough to know that it's not, it doesn't work that simply with human Mm -hmm. biology. And also our human bodies are so resilient and they are looking for ways to keep us healthy. And so we have to open the door to make that possible. And that's where I find at least my angle from the nervous system perspective allows for that in addition to all the medical care that you may need in your pregnancy. So I think that's probably the biggest one is just please remember that there is hope and that hope, as you said so beautifully, comes from you and it is from your body and the power that is literally built into your body from when you were born. Uh, mm-hmm. That is possible. It's built into your biology to help you stay pregnant or to reduce your risk of complications, uh, to extend pregnancy another day or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You know, all of that is totally possible. And in terms of concrete things, so, um, you know, truthfully, it's so much about your specific body. I think there's a lot of generic advice out there, especially when you Google stress and chronic stress and all that, there's so much generic stuff out there. And I think what it misses is how does it apply to my body and the state that I'm in, in that survival to safe journey? Where am I on that journey? And what does my body need where I am? And the way I like to explain that is by giving the example of being chased by a bear, that there's a Stress essentially is a physiological chain reaction that happens when we identify a threat, right? And so let's say you're out camping and you see a bear. Uh, Your body makes changes with the only goal is to keep you alive, right? And so what you need Mm -hmm. in that initial running away from the bear is different than what you need when you're hiding in a cave to take a break and catch a breather, to keep running again and is different than what you need when you see your car and you're about to run into your car and is different than what you need when you're in your car driving home. And that whole journey is the stress cycle. And so you've got to find where you are in that stress cycle first, because otherwise what happens is we are applying stress relief strategies at the wrong point of that process. And that's why they don't work. Right. And so if we find where we are in that journey, on that, just picture it as running away from the bear, where am I to being at home, which is being safe, let's say, where am I there? And what does my body need to get to that next step of getting closer to safety? I I would say that's really where it begins. And that's really where the the work starts. I love that because you, we all know something that happened days or weeks ago, months ago, years ago, it can be still impacting us. We can still be on that stress cycle, even when that thing is not in front of our face. You know, I think a lot of people and a lot of people get like PTSD type experiences from either their birthing process, from the pregnancy itself, from being in the NICU, or for me, it was the CICU with one of my children and it's stressful and getting pregnant after that is stressful. Even if it is a completely different pregnancy, like for me, 
my complications were nothing to do with the pregnancy or the birth itself, which went beautifully. It was all postpartum. It was all with the baby issue with the baby. And so the next pregnancy comes and there's nothing to say that anything will be like that at all. Like there's, it was kind of a random thing, like random. We don't know why this happened, nothing. And yet there's still that stress and that trauma. So I had to work through it, even though I was in the car driving home or whatever. Exactly. Absolutely. Do you feel that there's in in closing our conversation, a lot of the people who listen to us are um, birth workers and birth professionals is there a message? Is there anything that you feel somebody working with? Cause I feel like there's a lot of platitudes get that get thrown yeah. around, mm-hmm. right? There's just a yeah. lot of these coined <laughs> terms um, that can just do so much more damage. You don't feel like you're being listened to and all of that stuff. So uh, is there anything that you would say a could help a person, a birth professional do their job in a more sensitive or yeah, sensitive way. What would you say? Some advice. I mean, my ideal wish is all service providers are trauma trained Mm -hmm. at some point in life, in my ideal world. That's what I would like. Um, (laughs) That seems a bit large to expect immediately. (laughs) So um, I would say uh, I would remember I would maybe I would think of it this way, um, and I believe Lindsay, you were talking about bedside manner earlier. Mm-hmm. To remember that bedside manner is not you being nice; <laughs> it's not the tone of your voice necessarily, right. or how kind you are as a person. It is how safe do you make your patient feel at the time of delivering bad news. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a quotable. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. People, it's, don't it's know, often, people struggle to hold space, right? Yes, absolutely. And to say it, you can say the same thing in so many different ways. Yes. Like after my daughter's uh, open heart surgery, the doctor came in and basically what I got from hit the conversation with him was like, well, it kind of worked. Her valves are still leaky, blah, blah, blah. We'll probably have to do this again. So I totally lost my shit, of course. Totally. Um, and then our actual doctor who I love comes in and was like, no, this was a great outcome. She has leaky valves. People live with leaky valves. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like it was literally the exact same information given in a way that I could process and still gave the information, but was also supporting me. Yeah. Right. Yes. I don't know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's an entire chapter in my book on the impact of the care provided by your care team on your nervous system and ultimately your pregnancy outcomes. Like that's a very real experience that does impact how the pregnancy goes and how the woman not just experiences the pregnancy emotionally, but actually physiologically what happens in the pregnancy. There's plenty of research that shows this. Yeah. Laura Mosley has done a bunch of good research. I believe um, it's him who's done a lot of great research on the impact of like your care provider, what how they say it to you and what they yes. say on, on outcome. Yeah. There's a book called, I think it's called The Worst is Over. And then there's another one by the same author called Verbal First Aid. 
And it's amazing (laughs) because it's basically talking about if you were the first person on the scene of like a horrible accident, what your words say, what, like what you say, like, let's say these, uh, what do you call them? The people in the ambulance, I'm totally blinking paramedic, what they say in these moments can make or break. Absolutely. Things. So true. So true. Our words matter. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you just, do you talk about that in your book in pregnancy brain? Is that something you cover? Would that be a book that a a birth worker could, a birth professional birth worker sounds really weird to me that a birth professional (laughs) could utilize to become a little bit more um, language savvy? It's not explicitly meant for birth professionals, but I have heard of, um, OB training programs and MFM training programs and doula training programs who have used the book as a way to get some insight into the patient experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's certainly something you could take a look at. Tell us where people can find you and spend more time with you. Yeah. So I typically hang out on Instagram. I'm at healthy.highriskpregnancy. So come by and say hi. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could take a screenshot and tag all of us and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. That's always really fun to see. And um, outside of that, all of my resources, links to my podcast, my book, my programs, all of that is on my website, which is my full name.com, barijatdeshpande.com. Amazing. I'm looking at your Instagram right now. I just followed you. Oh, yay. (laughs) Lindsay, Lindsay Lindsay was following you before. I'm the follower. I'm I'm the Instagrammer. (laughs) This was a fantastic, this was amazing because I feel that so much of my work is heavily influenced by the work on the nervous system, like healing your body, healing from a core injury. And it's, and, and in our work with prenatal people, Lindsay, especially, she's kind of our face of that, our voice of that. She talks a lot about this stuff too. Like, you know, when we tell what we say to people is so important, the language and, and then how, how they approach their bodies and in conjunction with, with or without their minds. So I really, I really have loved talking to you. It's been very eye-opening. Thank you. Thank you so yes, much. Thank you. There needs to be a part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Thank you all for listening to the One Strong Mama podcast for birth professionals. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate all of the support. If you are a birth worker with an inspiring client, or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at One Strong Mama Prenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy. And definitely join in on the discussion in the One Strong Mama Facebook community group. See you here next time. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.